What is up, Emmanuel? How you feeling? Excited to be here? Man, I hope you're pumped to be here because I am pumped to be here. I, this is like, uh, you know, the fourth quarter for me. This is when the, you know, the game, game's on the line and I just get all jazzed, all excited. It's the last service of the day and uh, I'm just fired up. I believe God has a word for you today. I believe God has a word for me today as I preach it. So, if, hey, if you're a guest with us here today, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Danny and this is our church and I hope you like it so far. We have a lot of fun. You might ask, like, what's going on in this place? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? And here's the agenda, really. It's very simple. We want you to have an an experience with God. We want you to connect with God. We want you to hear something today from God's word that intersects with your life so that you could leave this place and go, oh, I see a little bit clearer. I have a a better perspective. And it's just going to encourage you and build up your faith so that you can live the life that God has planned for you. And if you don't know Christ today, our plan would be for you. We believe this is God's heart would be for you to know him today. And so that's kind of what's going on here. We love God and we believe he loves you. And so this environment is designed to help you in your faith. So uh, we're in a series right now called Unbroken. Hopefully you've liked it so far. Uh, It's a series on adversity. Adversity or basically is difficulty or trials or troubles that come into our life that cause pain, cause hardship. Uh, At times, adversity can get us down, but there's a way to live. And what we've said in the series is that there's a way for you to live in such a way that instead of adversity breaking you down, it actually makes you stronger. And there's a way for you to persevere through it and come out on the other side Unbroken. This series has been inspired by a book, recent book written by Laura Hillenbrand, that was turned into a movie uh, by Angelina Jolie called Unbroken, and, and it's the story of Louis Zamperini's life. And what we've said in this series is basically that, that it was Louis's perspective on adversity that allowed him to, to push through his difficulty and come out on the other side unbroken. If you don't know the, the story, if you've not read the book, or if you've not seen the movie, if you weren't here last week, let me spoil it for you. Okay, Sorry. Uh, but, but there's so much more detail to it, I'm really not going to spoil it for you. But basically, Louis Zamperini was an Olympic runner, and the Olympics in 1940, I can't remember the exact year, was canceled because of World War II, and so he couldn't run. So he joined the army and fought in World War II, and he became a bombardier. And one day, his plane was out on a mission, a search and rescue mission, to find some other, another bomber that had gone down. And uh, when, on, on this mission, two of their engines went out, and their plane ended up going in into the ocean, and 11, 11 men were on board, three survived. Louis was one of them, uh, it was also his pilot, uh, Phil, and one of the, the tail gunners, Max, survived. And so miraculously, they found a raft, they managed to get in the raft, all three of them, and for 47 days, they floated on the ocean, 2,000 miles. They survived uh, by eating uh, sharks that they caught with their hands, they, they, it's, it's unbelievable, they, and then they, they had to, they, the only thing you could eat on a shark was liver, so they kind of, I mean, that's just terrible, and albatross would land on the, on the raft, and they'd eat the albatross, you know, raw, which was nasty, and there were sharks underneath that wanted to eat them, and one day, I think it was on day 33, uh, a Japanese pilot saw them and started shooting at them, and none of them were, miraculously, none of them were hit, and so they went through storms, they went through the freezing cold temperatures at night, and then the sun during the middle of the day was beating down on them. When they finally reached land on day 47, uh, Louis Zamperini said he weighed 65 pounds. I mean, it's just incredible what they were able to survive. I mean, I've got a 13-year-old, I think he weighs more than that. (laughs) 
That's insane. Skin and bones. And when they, when they got to land, they were, they were quickly taken captive by the Japanese, and that began a two-and-a-half-year period where they were POWs, and they went under uh, incredible torture, just, just psychotic, sadistic treatment under the hands of the Japanese. But, but Louis Zamperini persevered, and he came out on the other side unbroken. And all we've done in this series is we've asked ourselves this question, how? How was he able to do that? And in his own words, he said in an interview, he said, you know, it goes, it goes back to my training as an Olympic runner, which, by the way, at USC, he, he broke the mile record there that stood for 15 years. He ran a mile in four minutes and eight seconds. And he said, basically, it goes back to my Olympic training. He said, when I would be pushing and pushing and hard and trying to run as fast as I could and I was out of energy, I would just tell myself to keep on going. Like, if you can take it, you can make it. And so he built up this endurance, this mindset that allowed him to persevere through adversity to accomplish incredible things things. And he said it was that mindset, that perspective that, when, that, that helped him when he was on that raft day after day after day, floating at sea with no one there to rescue him, that allowed him to continue to push on, even when he was under the, the, the crazy torture uh, from the Japanese. It was his mindset. It was his perspective. And the takeaway in this series, and what we've given you, it's in your notes, is that it's our perspective that allows us to live an unbroken life. It's the way that we view, the way we interpret, the way that we understand the difficulties that come into our life that make or break us, that, that our perspective determines whether or not adversity will crush us or throw us off track or cause our faith to be shipwrecked, or it's our perspective that allows us to grow stronger through adversity. And that's basically what we've done in this series. Week number one, we said the first perspective is that God uses adversity in our life to make us stronger, to bring about maturity and to build endurance. If you missed that week, man, Go back and watch that on the podcast or the church app. I promise you it'll be a blessing to you. And then last week, what we said, perspective two, was that God uses adversity. He allows it to come into our lives so that we can become comforters, so that we can actually give out strength and hope to other people when they go through, go through their adversity. The amazing thing about your adversity and my adversity, I know I'm talking fast and I'm excited, sorry. I know, the amazing thing about it is that God actually has someone else in mind when he allows adversity to come into your life. That perspective alone, you put that idea on and you look at your difficulty, the current difficulty you're in right now, man, that broadens everything. You say, whoa, one day God's going to use this difficulty in my life to bless somebody else. Yes, yes, yes. If you missed last week, man, go back and watch that. It'll be a huge encouragement to you. Now, today, today what I want to do is give you one more perspective, perspective number three, that's going to help you become the type of person that's a Louis Zamperini. Anybody want to be a Louis Zamperini? I do. I want to be that guy that... Oh, uh, that, that just faces huge difficulty and, and perseveres through it and comes out on the other side to tell the story and say, man, that was hard, but let me tell you what I learned. Let me, let me show you the type of person it made me. I want to be that type of person. It's perspective that helps us to become that way. And so I want to come at this from a different angle today. I want to begin with kind of a, a, a question or maybe an observation. Have you noticed that in your life, as you go through your life, day in and day out, the, you know, the, the days where there are special things going on, and then there's every other day, the mundane days, where it's the same stuff, different day, right? Have you noticed, have you ever noticed that you tend to go through your days in your own strength? Have you ever noticed that? You ever take some time to reflect on how you live your days? You kind of live in your own strength? I do this all the time. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional Christian. What, what I mean by that is that I, I, I kind of get, get paid to be a Christian in a sense that I'm a pastor. I'm a full-time Christian, okay? And there are still days in my life where, where I'm trying to solve problems in my own wisdom. 
where I'm trying to parent my children in my own strength. That's a tough one, right? Try to get the kids corralled, (laughs) you know, and I'm supposed to do it with God's help and God's strength and God's wisdom. But, But if you were to come into our home sometimes and watch how I parent our children, you'd say, that dude's a pastor. <laughs> I'm threatening people. I'm going to take all your money. You know, it just, it's just, you, you, you wouldn't think, you know, you, 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 might, you might think, wow, I'm supposed to go into his home and see them all like praying all the time. You know, it's like, it's like, no, no, no. It's like, you know, it's just, it's just, it's so hard to go through my days and live out the roles in my life, be it a husband or, or a father or a pastor or whatever it is, and handle financial issues and solve problems and difficulties and relationship issues and scheduling issues and planning for the future. It's so hard to do all of that stuff in the strength of God. Have you noticed that? And most of the time, we end up doing it in our own strength. We rely on our own resources. And your notes, the way I wrote it is this. We all tend to live lives of self-sufficiency. We all tend to live lives of self-sufficiency. And I believe, I believe we're born this way. I do. And if you're trying to raise children, like Jackie and I are, we've got a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old, these children came out of the womb self-sufficient. They want to do it themselves. The other day, my daughter was trying to put on her jacket for school, and, uh, you know, she, she was struggling with her zipper, and uh, I'm in charge of get them, getting them on the bus. So far, I've, I'm, I've got a perfect record of getting them on the bus on time, and I'm not planning on messing that up this year. And so, but, but, but with all this cold weather, there's hats and gloves and jackets and zippers and all these different things that have to happen. So she's over there struggling with her zipper. I'm like, hey, hey, let me help you. You know, we got to, the bus is coming. And she's like, no, do it myself. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you, little child? <laughs> Where have you gone astray? I've not taught you that. I, I, I say, look, I tell her all, I tell her, not all the time, I tell her often that daddies were created to help with zippers. That's, that's what, it's one of the things we're really good at. We have strong fingers that we can, you know, g- you know get that thing up and do it myself, you know. Sometimes in our house, it's a sweatshirt, you know, and the, you get the sweatshirt with the hood on, and they can't get it off their head, and you're just like, let me help. I'm like, no, do it myself, you know. It's like they're being born again. It's like, ah, ah. You know, it's like, I can help with sweatshirts. Like, I can do that, but, but no, I got to do it themselves, right? Like, we are born with this innate desire to do it on our own. Have you noticed this? To, to kind of go at it in our own strength, to live a self-sufficient life. And it's not all bad. It's not all bad, is it? In fact, God created us this way. In the Garden of Eden, he told Adam and Eve, he said, hey, I want you to have dominion. I want you to rule. You're in charge of the garden, and I'm going to delegate authority to you. Adam, I want you to name the animals. And, I, and, and God is into delegating authority. He, he wants to co-reign with us. He doesn't, wanna, he doesn't wanna call every single shot. He wants, to, he wants us to rule and reign with him. And so in the garden, you see this perfect picture of God and man working together. And then everything hits the fan when sin enters the world. When sin enters the world, we, we basically take this, this, this God-given thing of, of you know, hey, I, I, I'll do it, God. I can, I can take the ball and run with it. And we take that and we, we cut God out of the picture. And now we are little kings and we are little queens. And we have little kingdoms and little queendoms of our own. And we, now we act totally in our own strength and we cut God out of the picture completely. And we go at life all alone in our own strength. 
The Bible calls this in the arm of the flesh, which you're capable of doing in your own strength. And the scary thing is, is that some of us are capable of doing some pretty cool things in our own strength. But I'm here to tell you today, I'm here to tell you today, that is the worst possible way for you and I to live. Because when we live in our own strength, when we live from our own resources, we forfeit the life of God. We forfeit all that God has planned for us. Did you know that? And what does God have planned for us? Well, there's his guidance, there's his wisdom, there's his strength, there's his grace, there's his instruction, there's his power. But when we choose to go at life all by ourselves, we cut God off. We say no to the life that he designed for us. And you know it's the way I wrote it is this. Living a life of self-sufficiency or living a self-sufficient life is the opposite of what God intended for you and I. It's the total opposite of what he had in mind when he first created us. Did you know that God intended for you to walk in an intimate relationship with him every single day of your life? Talking with him, being with him, aware of his presence as a friend, like, like a best friend, like even closer than a best friend, that he designed you to, 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 to be in a relationship with him like a sheep and a shepherd, like he's the leader and you're the follower, but you're with him all the time. And a perfect, perfect picture of this is uh, in Psalm 23. Some of you have this memorized. If you don't, I, I encourage you to. It's only six verses. Some of you memorize it as a child. It starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Immediately, King David says, I'm not in charge. I have a shepherd. I have one who leads the way. And what I do is I follow him. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. What does that mean? It means I shall not be in need. I shall not lack any good thing. My shepherd will take care of me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Oh, see, in the green pastures, that's where the sheep would have enough food to eat. See that? What is, he, what is he saying? He's saying, my shepherd provides food for me. He leads me beside still waters. What happens to the sheep? They get thirsty. They need to drink. They need to eat and drink. Who provides the water? Who leads you to the brook? It's the shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He shows me the where to go. He shows me the right paths to take in my life. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I will not be afraid because why? You are with me, your rod and your staff that comfort me. You want to know what you were created for? You were created to live in this intimate relationship with God where you're depending on him, where you're following him, where you're talking to him. Paul said we pray without ceasing. He also said that we're led by the Spirit. This, this, this. He's describing an intimate relationship with God as you go through your days. Listen to what he said in Psalm 32, I love this verse. Psalm 32, verse 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway of your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do you hear the language there? The language is that of a, sh a shepherd and a sheep. He's saying, I'm going to show you the way to go. I'm going to, I'm going to show you go right or go left. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you counsel, and I'm going to watch over you. And that's what shepherds would do with their staff, right? He also says in Psalm 37, Verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. You know, some of, us think that, some of us think that God created the world and all the people in it, and he spun it into existence, and then he kind of detached himself, and he went off in some distant place and said, hey, you guys figure it out. If you have to kill each other and drop atomic bombs on each other and start wars with each other and create some rules, let's see if you can make it on your own. Some of us think that that's, that's the reality. Nothing could be further than the truth. God delights in the, every detail of our lives. He's, he wants to be involved in the, the tiniest decisions that you make in your life. 
and what, what, to, what to eat and what to drink and what to wear and, and what movies to watch. Do you know that God cares about what you allow your eyes to see? He cares deeply because it affects your soul. Oh, parents, guard your children's hearts. Guard their hearts because what we see affects who we are, shapes who we are. God cares about the details of our lives. He wants to walk with you as a shepherd does with his sheep. But when we choose to live a life of self-sufficiency, when we go at life alone, we forfeit that whole thing. We give it up. We forfeit the counsel of God, the comfort of God, the wisdom of God, the instruction of God, the insight of God. We say, no, I've got it. I'll do it on my own. That is, a, that is the worst possible way to live. Do you agree with this? So what does God do? What does God do to protect us from ourselves? Well, that's where the third perspective comes in. And you're, I don't think you're going to like it very much, but it's the truth. <laughs> so here we go. Ready? What does he do to protect us from living lives of self-sufficiency, from our own strength, from our own resources? P- perspective number three. God allows adversity to develop. God allows adversity in our life or he uses adversity to develop reliance upon him. He, he allows difficulty, trials, pain, and suffering to enter into our lives to break the self-sufficiency in our life so that we would learn to rely upon him. You say, man, are you making this stuff up again? <laughs> I promise you I'm not. I promise you that when I prepare these talks, I open the Bible and say, God, show me what to say. I promise you. We do this, right? So I'm going to look at the scriptures again, particularly a passage that the Apostle Paul gave us because he was one who was familiar with adversity. He was whipped. He was tortured. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked, all for the cause of Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about adversity, 2 Corinthians. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. Now he doesn't say in particular what's going on here. He just says it's so bad. Watch what he says in verse 9, the next verse. In fact, we expected to die. It was so bad that we thought this is it. In other words, if you were to ask him in this very moment, whatever situation they were in, whatever adversity, is it going to be life or is it going to be death? He would say death in this, in this situation. And then he gives us his perspective. Then he tells us why he thinks God allowed this adversity to come into his life. Watch this. But as a result, we stopped relying on who? Say it with me. Ourselves. Isn't that the problem? Isn't it self-sufficiency? Didn't we come out of the womb that way? Didn't we say, no, I'll do the zipper? Didn't we? Or he says, isn't that you? Isn't that me? He says, listen, this adversity came into my life so, so that we would stop relying on ourselves. And we learned to rely only on who? God, who raises the dead. Oh, did you see it? Don't you love it? (laughs) The Bible has so much to say about our lives if you would just open it and read it. He says, the adversity came in to teach me a lesson. lesson, this lesson to stop trusting in myself and totally rely upon God, which is the original design of the relationship between God and man. Stuff. Now, that type of perspective will allow you to go through adversity and come out on the other side of broken, unbroken. Do you believe this? Absolutely. That's the power of truth. That's the power of God's word. You know, when Louis Zamperini was on that raft, day after day, night after night, and they, they would have these huge sharks come up. And if you know anything about sharks, which I know a little bit because I watch Shark Week, I don't know by getting in the water. I never get in the water. I would advise you not to get in the water, but that's a whole other story. They were in the water, and when you're in the water, guess what else is in the water? The sharks are in the water. And the sharks out in the Pacific, what they would do is they would come up, and when they're not familiar with an object, they bump you. 
They bump you to see if, you know, if you're worth eating. <laughs> and so the sharks were continually coming up under, just bumping them, bumping them, bumping them, day after day after day. At one point, Mac had to take a... You'll see this in the movie. He had to, I'll steal, my, I'll steal the thunder. Mac had to take a, one of the oars and actually beat one of the sharks that had jumped up to try to bite Louie's face off or something like that. It was insane. Anyway, what was I talking about? Shark Week. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't talking about Shark Week, see? Just testing you. He says, he says to himself, we, we were on this raft and there was nowhere to go. And he actually said this in a testimony. I, I wrote it down, and I, I got it here for you. Listen to what Louis Zamperini said. We, when you reach the end of your rope, and you have nowhere else to turn, your atheism doesn't help you at all. Look what he says. This is, this is right from Louis' mouth. He says, you're going to turn and look up. So all we did on the raft was pray morning, noon, and night. He's saying the same thing Paul said. He's saying, when you get to a, into a situation where you have no more resources, you're totally bankrupt, you cannot solve the problem, there's nothing you can do to make it through, what, you, what do you do? What do you do? You don't become an atheist. You turn to God. And you make deals with God. And you say things like this. You get me out of this, God, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And that's exactly what Louis Zamperini said to God on the raft. He said, you get me out of this. I will serve you for the rest of my life. It was Rick Warren who said this. He said, you'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. Wow, what a statement. You and I will never know that God is all we need until God is all we have. And sometimes in order to break the self-sufficiency in our lives, God allows us to get into a situation where we, we cannot solve it. We are totally out of answers. I love what Dallas Willard said. If you haven't read anything by Dallas Willard, I encourage you to. Dallas Willard said this, God's address is the end of your rope. And some of you are like, I can't find God. I looked for him. I can't feel him. I can't hear him. Well, you know, his address is at the end of your rope. When you're out of resources, when you're totally bankrupt, you'll more, you're most likely to find God right there. Isn't that awesome? So what does God do? He allows adversity to come into our life to shift the reliance from being on ourselves to on him. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, yeah, but preacher, nice argument, good job. Because some of you are thinking that, right? <laughs> but you're also thinking that adversity for a friend of mine or adversity in my life didn't cause me to rely upon God. It caused me to walk away from him. It caused me to doubt him. It caused me to get angry with him. It didn't cause me to run to him or rely upon him. So what's the difference here? How, how, how can we become the type of person when we go into adversity, instead of it pushing us away from God, it actually causes us to rely upon him? Well, Paul gives us the answer. Watch this. If we go back to verse 9, Paul says, In fact, we expected to die. We're done for. We've got nothing left. As a result, we stop relying on ourselves, and we learn to rely on only on God. And he adds this phrase in there. I just love it. He says, Who raises the dead? And it's this little phrase right here, who raises the dead, that gives us the secret. It, it gives us the difference between a person who, who chooses to drift from God because of adversity or draws closer to God because of adversity. The person who draws closer to God because of adversity believes deep down in his or her heart that God is the God who raises the dead. Translation, translation in your notes, ready? God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. When you believe that God can do the impossible... Your adversity will cause you to throw your whole life upon him 
Because he can do the impossible. You don't believe he can do the impossible? You're done for. See? You're not going to run to him. You're going to run away from him. You don't trust him. You're not sure about him. See, but the Apostle Paul knew that God can do the impossible. The Apostle Paul was a student of Jesus. He studied the life of Jesus. He knew He knew that about that one time in Mark chapter 5, which if you're reading the one-year New Testament, you saw this. Mark chapter 5, Jairus, the, one of the leaders of the local synagogues, comes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, uh, my daughter's about to die. Can you come to my house and lay hands on her and heal her? And he's like, Sure, I'll come. And, and on his way to Jairus's house they get interrupted by some lady who's got an issue and and Jesus ends up you know healing her and that takes some time well he gets caught up in the meantime the little girl dies and when a Jairus's assistant comes to Jesus and says I'll leave the teacher alone she's already dead Jesus says no 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 you just believe and then he takes Peter James and John and the two parents Jairus and his wife and he takes them to the house wouldn't you have loved to have been wouldn't you have loved to have been Peter James and John like wow front row seat Tells everybody else to go away. Takes Peter, James, and John into the house. And, and he, when he gets there, there's a lot of commotion. Everybody's saying, oh, she's already dead. Jesus says, no, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And Jesus says, and they all laugh at him, and they all mock him, and they, she, she's dead. And then he goes inside, and watch what happens in Mark chapter 5. I love this. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Watch this. And the little girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Don't you love it? I mean, come on. This, this stuff doesn't get any better. This, Jesus walks in. Peter, James, and John are watching. And it's like, he, this little girl just comes to life. And you're like, whoa, can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of those guys? What would have happened to your faith? What would have happened to your, your hope and your courage? And it's like, who is this guy who raises the dead? Paul knew who Jesus was. He knew these works. He studied these works. He knew that Jesus was the type of God who could do the impossible. In fact, he was a student of the Old Testament. He knew the prophet. He knew what the prophet said. He could quote the prophets. He knew Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, which simply says this. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, this is Jeremiah. You made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Can you do me a favor real quick and look at somebody and say, nothing's too hard for God? Just go ahead. Just have some fun nothing's too hard for God nothing's too hard for God Paul knew that he knew there was nothing that was too hard for God he was convinced so when he came into adversity instead of running from God he took his whole life and he threw his life on God and he said look this is the God who raises the dead and when you do that peace floods your soul Instead of fear and worry and anxiety, he's like, it's going to be all right. I've seen Jesus work. Like, he can speak to the ocean and the wind and the waves, they calm down. Like, he can raise little girls from the dead. Oh, my goodness. It's easy to trust a God like that. That's powerful. Let me show you, let me show you what God's will for your life is. God, God's design for your life is to live in a dependent relationship with him. You were created to live in a dependent relationship with him. That's his design for you. This sheep-shepherd relationship. And when you live a self-sufficient life, you cut yourself off from all the shepherd wants to do for you. It's the exact opposite way he designed for you to live and function in this life. Can you imagine if you had the shepherd with you at all times in your marriage, in your finances, in every area of your life, struggles, temptations, difficulties at work, and how to handle a relationship? If the shepherd was with you in the valley of the shadow of death, can you believe that? That is the life that God has planned for you. 
but, but, but we don't easily go there. We, we, we tend to live self-sufficient lives. And I love reading the Old Testament. I know it's a little goofy right now if you're doing the one-year New Testament with all the weird stuff going on in Leviticus. Just trust me, push through it. You'll get there. Just push through Leviticus. It gets a lot better. But I love the stories about the Israelites because it's a picture of me. I, I always see myself in the Israelites like they love God and they drift from God. Like they, they worship him and then they worship some idols, right? It's like that's my life sometimes. It's like I, I'm in and I'm out. I'm in and I'm out. A- anybody else? Amen? Amen? Am I reading your email? Come on. This is how we live sometimes. Like we're excited about God and then we're interested in other things. It's like, it's like man, so I see myself. How did God get them, the Israelites, to totally rely upon him? You know what he did? He sent adversity into their life. Oh, remember I said it last week? The Exodus after 10 plagues, right? Pharaoh finally lets the Israelites go. Moses leads them out of Egypt, but they come into an obstacle, right? What's the obstacle? The Red Sea. And then Pharaoh's heart changes, and he starts chasing after the Israelites, and now they're in a pickle. They got the the Egyptians behind them, the Red Sea before them. What do they do? They start to do what you and I would do. They complain, oh, Moses, did you bring us out here for, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why do we have to die out here? You know, you know what's going on? And they start complaining and moaning in the midst of their adversity instead of doing what? Relying upon God, right? right? We do, they, they are us. We are them. We do the same thing. And so what does God do? He says, just, just, just chill out. Just chill out. My translation doesn't say chill out. But, but he said, just, just wait, and you watch the salvation of the Lord. And he tells Moses to raise his staff over the Red Sea. And so Moses does, and the Red Sea parts, and a wind blows the ground dry. And, and the Israelites walk through, and the next day, God allows the Egyptians to walk through. And Moses, God tells Moses to wave his staff over the Red Sea. Now he's on the other side, and he, so he does. And the, and the Red Sea collapses on the Egyptians, and they all drown. And then Moses records this in Exodus chapter 14. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. Watch. What's the result? Watch the result. Then they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. It was only then that they put their full reliance upon God. How did God get them to this point where they could totally rely upon him? I'm telling you, it's adversity. It's when you come to the end of your rope. It's when you have nothing left. It's when you're caught between the Egyptians and the Red Sea, and there's nothing you can do, and God must show up, and then you go, oh, it's like that. <gasps> so, so God is the shepherd, and he's going to make sure I have dry ground to go through, and he, then he's going to take care of my enemies like a good shepherd does, right? And by the way, what did Jesus call himself? He said, I am the good, oh, a little bit more confidence, I am the good, yes, first service struggled a little too, I am the good, shepherds fight off the enemies, they open up the path, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, and green grass, and rivers, and life, And you know what God was doing in the Exodus? He was showing his children, and he's showing you, and he's showing me, I want to be your shepherd. Trust me. Rely upon me. And so they did. But how did they get there? They got there through adversity. I'm giving you some serious perspective today. Are you guys eating this stuff up? This is life-changing stuff. This will turn you into a little mini Louis Zamperini. I'm not kidding. You go through some junk and some, you know, some stuff, and you're like, yeah, it's going to be all right. I'm going to make it. Why? God's, God's, God's helping me to rely on him. He's turning me into a comforter. He's building up my endurance. Give me some more adversity, right? Now, I, I know that sounds a little crazy, but you got to become the type of person that kind of likes adversity. 
Like, I know that sounds backwards, but, but when adversity comes into your life, it's like, mm, give me some more. Why? Because you know that God is doing something, and he's working on you, and he's building you, and he's turning, into, turning you into the person that he's designed you to be. you got to, like, embrace it and love it and chew on it and gobble it up because God's doing something powerful in your life. He's trying to shift your reliance from yourself to him. What better place is there to be, right, than being living in that sheep-shepherd relationship now, I know some of you are hearing this and you're going, man, that sounds good. It's all right. You proved it from the Bible, so what? Because I do the same thing with preachers. Like, I argue with them in my head. Because if you do it out loud, it'd be weird, right? <laughs> Let me ask you this question. Is it possible for you, everything I just said, go through adversity, shift your reliance, draw closer to God, rely upon him, is that possible for you? Or are you just kind of that Christian that doesn't really, didn't really get it, just going to struggle for your whole life, and life sucks? And then you go to heaven when you die. Is that you? Or, or, or does God have something better? Is it possible for you? I know, I know no better way than to show you a story of someone in this church who went through one of the worst adversities that I could think about, cancer of your child. Is it, can, does it get worse than that when the doctor says it's stage four cancer for your kid? And I had the privilege of going through this journey with this family from a distance, sometimes a little close. I want you to hear their story of how their adversity didn't cause them to run from God, hate God, doubt God. It actually caused them to draw closer to him and rely upon him. This is the story of Jeff and Rhonda West and their son, Evan. We're Jeff and Rhonda West. Uh, We've been coming to Emmanuel since 1981. We've been followers of Christ for about 40 years, thankfully. And we have two sons, Evan and Kyle. It was Christmas of 2000, and Evan began having headaches and feeling sick to his stomach. We thought it was the flu. It went on for about a week and a half, and through, uh, and then it began to get become more severe. He had uh, quite a bit of testing done and found out that he had a brain tumor, and it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, uh, which was stage four. The prognosis wasn't that great when we found out about Evan's cancer. We thought it might be a 50-50 chance that he would survive. And it was uh, one of those things that at that point in time we realized that we were really out of control. We had no uh, bearing on this whatsoever. It was just totally what God wanted to do and made us as a family rely more on him. And uh, we just, uh, like I said, through the process uh, to try to count on him, depend on him in every way we could. And uh, thankfully we ran to God and not from him. As a nurse, I knew that there were a lot of um, protocols that we could look through and a lot of options, and we really needed God's direction on what doctor to go to, um, what chemo um, he should receive, and so on. So it was just totally having to wait on God, and um, he gave both of us a piece about what direction to go. Uh, We learned quite a bit as a family, Ron and I, and Evan and Kyle, um, and Danny just spoke about this uh, a couple weeks ago about in James when it talks about count it all joy when different trials come. And you look at that and you say, how is it possible to possibly say that uh, during a trial that it's, uh, you can count it all joy? And we all realized um, that you're never closer to the Lord than you are during a trial like that. And so how can that be bad? And um, I think God teaches us and wants to teach us during those trials that 
Uh, maybe at that point we're going to be more sensitive to what he's telling us and uh, that we'll be willing to learn from what he says. And I'm convinced of this more and more that you grow in the valley. Uh, when you're on the mountaintop, things are going pretty good. You don't think you have to depend on God, but in the valley, your, your dependence is totally on the Lord. The truth of the matter was that we didn't know what each day was going to bring. So we had to live one day at a time trusting in God, um, totally depend upon Him. There were definitely times that I had my meltdown moments when I had to lock myself in the bathroom at the hospital and just cry and um, pray and ask God for His strength to get through it. The Bible talks about bearing one another's burdens, and I think it's so important uh, that I learned this, maybe even more so than Rhonda, uh, because I had a lot of pride in my life, and I think, um, I said, I got this, I can do this myself, and God showed me that I can't. And I realized that I need to allow other people to help me uh, during, during trials. They can assist us, they can encourage us, they can pray for us, and those things are really valuable. And it's a blessing to them as well as to us. And I think that's a, a great lesson that, that we learned, that I learned especially. And the other thing was that Ron and I both have been able, through the last 14 or 15 years, been able to encourage other people uh, that are maybe going through something similar to this uh, because of what we learned. And then we can help them, just like Danny spoke about last weekend, about comforting one another because of the way God comforted us. And God did a miraculous work in our lives uh, through that. I've said this numerous times before, but I, I, I'm so such a believer in this, is um, that I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I wouldn't trade it for anything from what we learned spiritually. My encouragement would be this, I think, to other folks that are going through something similar to this. Embrace the trial. It's one of those things that, you'll, like I said, you'll never be closer to the Lord than you are during this time. I think it's invaluable for what we can learn, what God wants to teach us. Thankfully today, Evan is cancer-free. Uh, he is uh, 30 years old. He is uh, a doctor. Uh, he's a, doing it, finishing his residency up at St. Vincent's on the north side. And uh, he has a, uh, two little boys, uh, so we're so thankful for that. It just makes you realize that God never, never leaves us or forsakes us. It's a great promise from Him. What's your adversity today? What is it that you're going through? Is it financial? Is it a, is it a sickness? Is it something job-related? Is it a relationship, a marriage situation? Could it be that God wants to use that adversity in your life to shift the reliance from yourself and your own resources to him, that you would totally throw yourself upon him? That's one of the reasons, one of the things, one of the ways that God uses adversity in our life. And you know, sometimes it's good for us to, to respond to God in moments like this. Um, you know, sometimes when I'm alone, I'll get on my knees and I'll just call out to God. And, and there's nothing super spiritual about getting on your knees. It's, 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 it's a body posture that reflects uh, a condition of the heart. And so when, when a person gets on their knees, it's not like God says, ooh, he's on his knees. She's on his knee, her knees. I better listen now. It's not, it's not so much that. Um, it's more of just a person saying, God, uh, I need you. I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to trust you. And so we haven't done this in a while as a church. We used to do it all the time. But 
I'm going to invite you in this moment to, say, to, to cooperate with God and say, God, you know what? I'm going to declare my dependence upon you. I'm going to totally rely upon you. So our band's going to close us with a song here that's going to lead us. And if you feel led to, to you know, show God and show yourself uh, that you're going to declare your dependence upon him and totally rely upon him, I'm going to invite you to come down front here, all across the, the, uh, the front here and even in the aisles and the side aisles and just kind of take a knee and just say to God, God, I'm, I'm in this adversity. I'm going to totally rely upon you if you feel led to do that. And I know some of you are sitting in the middle here and you're thinking, I can't get out. But listen, people do it at the Pacer game, right? Don't they? For a Coke. Right? It's like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me. You know, so listen, hey, 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 if people could do it for a Coke, you could do it for a prayer. What do you think? What do you think? Huh? Huh? Even in the balcony? So hey, just excuse yourself during this last song. I'm going to invite you to come. Just come and just, just say to God, I'm going to totally rely upon you in this adversity or in the adversities to come. And then I'll come back up and close us. You come as you feel led. As people are continuing to pray down front here, I want to close the service. In fact, I think it would be wrong for me to close the service out without giving some of you the opportunity to know Christ and put your faith in Him. You know, the reality is that every single one of us were created to live in this shepherd-sheep relationship where God is involved in the details of our life, loving us, guiding us, instructing us, empowering us, and that's what you were created for. But naturally, when we're born into this world, we're not born into that relationship. We're actually born separated from God. And that is the penalty of sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden. And that sin makes it impossible for us to be in that relationship that God intended for us to have. But that's why God the Father, in His love, in His mercy, in His grace, decided to send Christ to this earth to die on the cross so that your sin could be removed, so that you can live in that relationship that He created you for. I'm not really talking about, I'm not talking about joining a church, and I'm not talking about joining a religion. Christianity may be qualified or may qualify as a religion. I don't see it that way. Christianity is, is this idea that God sent Christ into the world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you and I can be in a relationship with him. You can call that a religion if you want. It's not. You can call it a church. It's not. Church is a manifestation or a way that that message gets out, but it's a relationship. When you leave here, God leaves with you if you're a Christian. When you're in the car, he's with you. In the car, at lunch today, he's with you at lunch. When you're with your children, he's with you with your children. He's with you, even in the valleys. That's what I'm talking about. How do you enter that relationship? You put your faith in Christ. You ask him to forgive your sin and come into your life. You become his child. If that's you right now, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your head and pray. Put your faith in Christ today. Reach out to him in faith. This moment was designed for you. And if you've already put your faith in Christ, pray for those. Pray for those who are about ready to make this decision. It's a simple, simple act of faith. Just right now, just reach out to him in faith and say these words. Dear Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive my sins today. I trust that you died for me on the cross that you rose again and came back to life three days later to remove my sin, to wash me, to make me your child. And right now, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm trusting you with all my heart to be my savior. Cleanse me, wash me, 
and make me new. And for the rest of my days, empower me with your grace to live my life in a way that honors you and brings glory to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ, our church would love to put a Bible in your hands. It's a one-year New Testament. It's actually half of the Bible. Um, And the reason we want to do that is because we believe that as you read the Word of God, God nourishes your soul. He speaks to you through the Word of God. When I first became a Christian when I was 17, uh, I had someone come to me and say, hey, you need to begin absorbing the scriptures into your life, reading, meditating, journaling, studying it. I didn't know anything, so I just said, okay. And I took his advice and began absorbing the word of God into my life, and my life has never been the same. And I want to pass on that same advice. By the way, that guy's name is Byron Seashore. He's now passed on, and he's with the Lord. But he is the one who inspires us giving out these Bibles every single week. Imagine that. One guy (laughs) influenced me to influence all of you. It's just incredible what what one person can do in this world. And so I want to encourage you to go grab a Bible. There's tables back here. It's my friend Brent back there. Hi, Brent. How are you? And I've got some friends over here. I'm not sure who they are. Okay. Sorry, guys. I can't see you over there. But... uh, they would love to put one of these Bibles in your hands. And, uh, and then also, just begin reading it. It's a little five-minute reading in there. And as you read it, God will speak to you. Can we give God glory today for what he's done? Let me, let me leave you with this. Uh, it's, a, it's an honor and it's a privilege. I was tweeting last night about what an honor and a privilege it is to be your pastor. Um, but one of the greatest things, or the greatest thing that I could do for you as your pastor is to point you to Jesus. Uh, I think I'm a pretty cool guy. <laughs> I like my, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not finished. There are days I like myself and there are days I don't. My wife likes me, which is a good thing. And my kids generally like me. But, but I'm not the person. I'm not the example. Paul said one time, Follow me as I follow Christ. So my, 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 the greatest thing I can, I can do for you is to get your eyes on, on Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, and to follow him, the good shepherd. I'll shepherd you, but I'm going to shepherd you to him because <laughs> I'm going to screw up. <laughs> I screw up all the time. <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> but Jesus, oh, he's perfect. And he will never fail you. And he will always forgive you. And he will always strengthen you. And he will always be with you, even in the valley of the shadow of death. Follow him. He said, come to me. Follow me. And I promise you, he will lead you to the still waters and the grassy places to feed your soul. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You're the source of life, the source of joy. You are the living water. You are the bread of life. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about you, to to even speak your name, Jesus. What a joy. We, We love you. Help us to love you more. Help us to follow closely as you lead us. Thank you for being our shepherd and our Lord. Help us to see adversity this way today, that that you're using it in our lives 
to more fully depend upon you and rely upon you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, next week, next week, I'm telling you, we got a perspective for you on adversity you are not going to want to miss. It's going to blow the roof off this place. Come, bring back, bring your friends. We'll see you next week. God bless you.